you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. You ever had an experience in your life that completely changed your perspective? You ever have something that just happened that blew you away? You couldn't believe that actually occurred. I think every one of us has one moment or two that happens in our lives that really almost changes the trajectory, if you will, of the rest of our lives. Whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's the first time someone shared the gospel with us, whether it's the first time we met our spouse, there's those moments in our lives that redefine the rest of our lives. One of the difficulties for many of us as we see those things is we tend to forget the moments that God clearly reveals something to us. And as we're going to see this morning, there are things that people do to promote what they've done in their lives, and God brings them back to needing Him. One of the things that's difficult for the church today, and I think it's very obvious by our culture, is not to take credit for what they have accomplished for the kingdom. What tends to happen, as we see here, we're going to talk about with Herod, is there's this idea of self-promotion by many, and we don't even notice it. There are a lot of great events in our lives that God uses to build us up in our walk with Him. Many times those great events turn into moments of pride for us, and we somehow take the credit for what God has done. This morning we're going to look at, specifically, Herod's situation. The title of the sermon this morning is Touched by an Angel, and it's not what you think. This is a different Touched by an Angel than you're probably familiar with when you're looking at the culture today and many of the stories that people tell you. We spoke in length last week about the deliverance that Peter experienced from prison, right? He's, we spoke on the imprisonment by Herod, who was actually the grandson of Herod the Great, who killed the baby boys in Bethlehem. These were historical people. These people really existed. This is not just a fictional story. Herod had already killed James, one of the three in Christ's inner circle. And the church prayed that God would deliver Peter, who was in jail at this time. And he did, right before the moment of execution. We finished last week by asking the question, how important is prayer to you? I was encouraged to see the people that gathered this morning. Is it just a duty to us? We ask these questions, is it just something that we do to impress other people? Is it just something that, frankly, is missing from our daily lives? We don't give it any credence anymore. Or is it something that we realize is a necessity for a walk with God? You see, we see that Peter and those that were praying for him, they continued praying up until the moment of the night of his execution, right before his execution. Peter ultimately has an angel that approaches him and tells him to walk through this gate, get his clothes on, walk through this gate, and Peter's found a free man. The James that Peter specifically mentions later on when he's talking to the brethren to let him know about this incident and what God had done through the angel is a different James. He's actually the James, the half-brother of Jesus, who later on will pen the actual book that many find controversial, 
James. What people don't know is James, in the beginning, absolutely detested who Jesus was. He disagreed with what he was as the Savior of the world. In fact, it wasn't until later, after Jesus' death, that James came to saving faith. The James here that, that Peter's referring to became a leader in the church. Today, we're going to be specifically looking at something different, though. We're going to be looking at the encounter Herod had with an angel himself. It's a totally different encounter. Peter had a wonderful encounter. Herod, not so much. We're going to be looking at three things. Number one, the commotion, verses 18 and 19. Number two, the promotion, verses 20 through 22. And number three, the demolition, verses 23 through 24. Number one, the commotion, verses 18 through 19. Listen to what it says. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. This was no small thing that Peter escaped prison. In fact, this would have been front page news if they had the New York Times back then. Although, they probably might have wanted to avoid that story. It might not be the best case for him. Herod more than likely assumed that the guards had something to do with his escape. That's why he does an investigation. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, but when the guards would watch any prisoner... If that prisoner escaped, they would then be condemned as that prisoner. So whatever the punishment for that prisoner was to be, whether it's a sentence of a certain amount of years, that soldier would then have to pay that price. So how do we know that Peter actually was to be executed? Uh, the soldiers were told to be killed. That's how we know. What's interesting here is that Herod timed his execution to not get in the way of Passover. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But around that time, as the mission actually states, Jewish oral traditions that are passed down, it records that he even read from the Torah and delivered a blessing to the people. His goal was to get the support of the Jewish leaders and pit Christians against them to come across as a hero, if you will who saved them from the heresy by persecuting Christians. Now, we know based on the text that this didn't end so well, right? Herod was not able to get his glorious moment with Peter being executed, right? I mean, in fact, it was just an embarrassment. Peter escaped once again. So he leaves for Judea, from Judea to Caesarea, more than likely 70 miles away, and as we've probably seen in recent times, when the going gets tough, politicians scram. They get out of Dodge. Something that all of us actually do, whether we admit it or not. When we've made poor choices, we tend to find someone else to blame, right? In fact, it's best to pretend for some of us that that moment, that incident never happened. You ever known people that deny exactly what happened? Oh, that never really occurred. What are you talking about? And then they make you feel crazy. And you're literally 
I watched you do this. I think it's very evident with our children, right? If you've ever been a parent watching your children grow up, they will deny in front of you what you just watched them do. Sadly, people grow to be adults and still do the same thing. We deny the very things we've done. In fact, many of us will blame someone else if we don't flat out deny it. And some of us get to the point where we just flat out run away so we don't have to deal with any of the repercussions. We won't talk to him or her again. Many of us have a hard time admitting our own sin and taking responsibility for what is our fault. What's interesting here is that not only does Herod want to escape the consequences of his choices because it's an embarrassment to him before the Jewish people, he looks for a promotion. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but people have not changed all that much throughout history. Even when they're at their lowest, they want promotion. And sadly, this is exactly what happens. Number two, the promotion, verses 20 through 22. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace. Because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not a man. Herod apparently wasn't getting the respect he deserved from these, these two countries, Tyre and Sidon. These cities, I should say. They're dependent ultimately on him for their food supply. Blastus, who's actually one of Herod's servants, was one of the means to get the people on track with Herod once again. In fact, what is interesting is he's the one that many commentators say arranged for the meeting with Herod and those people. Remember, it's who you know, right? Not what you know sometimes. It's who you know. We see something very interesting here in this text. Herod wants to promote himself and how much of a hero he is once again by wowing the crowd to the extent of them putting them, him on a pedestal of a god. Josephus, a Jewish historian, actually gives more details on this incident than Luke actually does. In fact, what's interesting is there's probably some, probably some embellishment here, but I want you to hear what Josephus says on this. Now, when Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city Caesarea, which was formerly called Stratos Tower. And there he, exhi he exhibited shows in honor of Caesar upon his being informed that there was a certain festival celebrated to make vows for his safety. You notice how he plays both sides of the fence, depending on the culture and the context? On the second day of which shows he put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so replacent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, 
one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a God. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as a superior to mortal nature. Upon this the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. Self-promotion. Look at how wonderful I am. Herod had a great reputation from these people to the point of being promoted by them to the status of a god. There's one thing that I think has remained the same throughout history is that people look to political figures almost to godlike status. Many of us vote with the expectation that this one political figure is going to change the trajectory of our country. That they'll represent us well, that they'll at least not take away what we've already been given. If you think about the following slogans, you might tie them into political people specifically. I don't know if you remember some of these. Here's one, not that long ago. Change we can believe in. Here's one, humanity first. Well, this was before the COVID. We're all in this together. <laughs> I found that one fascinating. Be brave. A more recent one, make America great again. Here's another one, build back better. Sadly, this one's been copied by many politicians, so I'm not sure that there's not a conspiracy involved with that one. Needless to say, comparisons of politicians have been around. People have elevated politicians to godlike status. And sadly, comparing them to Jesus should be something that church never, never allows. All of these men don't come close. Many voted for a certain candidate because they knew what the other represented was not necessarily what they would have wanted as their first choice. Many voted for certain candidates because they were sick of the nonstop media coverage regarding a certain candidate. They wanted things to go back to normal, although I'm not sure what normal is anymore. Many voted for a certain candidate because they were absolutely terrified if the other won, their country was doomed. All of these could be partial reasons why people vote for certain candidates. But the question remains, did you really expect this person to bring about the peace that Jesus is about, going to bring in the future? Disciple of Jesus Christ those of you that are absolutely terrified by what's going on in this nation, you were perfectly right to want a certain candidate to represent your views. There's nothing wrong with that. But you put a little too much stake in that candidate. And I understand that you wanted a better world for your children and for your own conscience. My question to you is this, are you going to crawl into a hole right now and wait for Jesus' return? Or are you going to stand up and be bold and raise your children with the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And a lot of that happens outside the church context. 
It happens at home, where fathers need to exemplify these things to their children, where mothers need to exemplify these things to their children, where spouses need to love one another as Christ loved the church. You can keep complaining about others, but what are you doing for your own situation? It's easy to blame everybody else, right? That's the norm in our culture right now. That's why we have the big debate over masks. It's the maskers' fault, the anti-maskers' fault. Everybody's fighting that everybody else is to blame. At the end of the day, we all need to figure out what we're responsible for. Are you consistently making Scripture priority in your home? Or is it eh, here and gone? Are you praying daily with your children and for your children, parents? Notice I said with and for. One of the worst things that we can do as parents is be freaked out by everything that media pushes on us and not pray for anything. Are you making it a point to discuss theology with your children? I've got something in the works that I'm going to present to younger families here in the, in the near future. There are a lot of things that we as a church need to brace ourselves for, and we can't keep waiting. It's on our doorstep right now. Are you getting discipled yourself, parents? Because if you're not getting discipled yourself, if you're not in a discipleship relationship with others, you can't disciple your children well. Just doesn't work. You can't give somebody what you yourself don't possess. Which is one of the reasons why a lot of parents, when they, their children grow up, they're out of school, they go to college, they're wondering why their faith is not intact. You were expecting Sunday school with little coloring pages to fix the problem. It takes more than that. Your children are exposed to hours a week of vile entertainment that you and I need to filter, of course. But you need to counter that in your teaching at home. The important part of discipleship itself is accountability. I can guarantee you one thing, those that are involved in discipleship on a regular basis are doing much better than those that are not. I can guarantee that. The best among us don't have enough self-discipline to walk the road with Christ alone. Many people start with great intentions in their walk with Christ, but realize that they fall on their own. And what's even more dis disturbing and sadly dis depressing, if you think about it, is many have fallen for a long time and don't realize they've fallen. What are you doing to prepare those that you care most about? Are you more concerned to warn them about the political landscape than the theological implications of where their faith is at? A lot of us are great at pointing out all the bills that might be passed very soon, which we should. A lot of us are terrible at countering what Scripture says. Have you just given up? You just expect Jesus to come in and save the day automatically and you don't have to do anything? If that's your theology, it's not biblical, period. Every single saint that you read about in the, in the Scripture, particularly the New Testament saints, they dealt with hardship. 
They were constantly told to persevere. The writer of Hebrews says, don't go back. Keep going. None of the authors of Scripture ever told you, hey, just sit down, huddle up, Jesus will come back and fix it. There's not a single text in Scripture like that. In fact, boldness is what's exemplified by the church in Acts. You want to protect your children, right? It's a good, noble cause for all of us. But what are you doing to fortify your own home? It has to get beyond us filtering what they watch and listen to, church. You need to give them something that is truth. One of the worst things that parents have done in legalistic churches is tell kids not to talk about certain things or not to mention certain things without ever giving them a rational explanation from the Word of God. Stop complaining and do something about what God has called you to. One of the saddest things I see as a pastor is the amount of complaining that even comes out of my own mouth regarding culture. God has given us all the tools necessary. He's not left us hanging. Those that are busy trying to promote themselves and their personal likes and dislike, if you will, they face the same end that Herod actually faces here in the text. Demolition. Number three, the demolition, verses 23 through 24. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God. Here's where you're touched by an angel and it's not going so well. And he was eaten by worms and died. I'd love to see more pastors preach these texts of Scripture. A wonderful plan for your life, Herod. Wonderful plan for your life. You're done. But the Word of God grew and multiplied. Guess who gets demoted, guess who gets promoted? God gets promoted again to the status that he deserves. The angel of the Lord struck Peter to get out of the prison. Now strikes Herod immediately for his pride. Think of the connection. Herod's the one that put Peter in prison. Just fascinating if you actually think through all the implications of that. Listen to Josephus' description of this account. But as he presently afterward looked up, he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings, as it had once been the messenger of good tidings to him and fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain also arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life. Some commentators suggest that Herod suffered from appendicitis that led to peritonitis, I can't pronounce that word, complicated by round worms. The cause of Herod's death was his pride. Scripture tells us plainly, because he did not give glory to God. 
Simple. You see, this is the problem that a lot of us have, is we don't think pride is all that serious. Let's, let's go through Scripture and just make sure we remind ourselves of how important it is to be humble. Verses like Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. It would have been nice for Herod to remember that. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Listen, church, you and I don't need to have to worry about keeping the score when it comes to prideful people. God's already keeping score. Just like he did with Herod here. God is always keeping track. In fact, here's a text in Psalm 10. We're just going to read the first four verses where we're reminded of this truth. Listen to what it says. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. I would suggest that you read the whole chapter. It's a fascinating chapter dealing with what God does with prideful people. Being touched by an angel, being delivered from prison is one thing. Being touched by an angel in judgment and slowly passing away is another. God destroyed Herod for his pride, although there were actually writings that claimed he repented before his death. Many were devastated to see this happen. In fact, there are accounts of the people watching him elevate himself only to be crushed right before their eyes. There were reports of people weeping and mourning for him as they saw him so quickly pass away. Turned out to be quite a God, right? So what does Scripture finish with in this text? This is what I love about the writer of Acts, Luke. Gives you these great nuggets that you just tend to not pay attention to many times. Because we're more fascinated with the extraordinary stuff. Here's what's extraordinary. And, but the word of God grew and multiplied. All this stuff is going on. All of this is a shock to many people. Herod quickly passes from the scene. And guess what happens? God's word grows. Listen, church, could it be the very difficulties that we're going through right now are a reason for God to get more glory? Could it be that we've been relying too much on what we can do as a personal individual, as a church, as a nation? Could it be that God is going, hey, your promotion, I'm taking that away. It's time for you to learn to trust me again. It's time for you to understand what humility is. You see, the things that we go through, the people that have failed us, the circumstances outside of our control, the things that we wish we could go back and change may be the very things that God is using to bring us back to Him. Could it be that instead of looking to someone here on earth, we look beyond that? 
Instead of looking to a certain candidate to save the day, we look to King Jesus, who's the ruler of the universe. Could it be that what God has already done through his son Jesus Christ is enough? And what looks like a loss here on earth is victory for the kingdom. Could it be that we've experienced all this craziness this past year so God could get our attention once again? And if you will, be our very present help in time of trouble. So in conclusion, I have a simple question. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Did you put too much stock in that particular candidate that you voted for? Did you almost lift them to godlike status? Well, you would have come out and say it. It's very hard to actually pierce deep enough in the heart sometimes to admit that. Did this last year leave you more devastated outside of the coronavirus itself? And you're waiting for Jesus to return. Have you given up on walking faithfully with him? Have you just thought, man, this is almost useless. I've tried and it's not working out well right now. Are you going to wait by being ready? Or are you going to wait by living defeated? God says he'll be there for his children, but he does not ask us to go into autopilot. Let me tell you, one of the most blasphemous statements is let go and let God. And I know what people want to mean by it sometimes, but there is an actual warfare that we're involved in that you need to participate in. You don't get to stand on the sidelines. You need to wage war. Have people you thought you can rely on failed you recently? I'm sure they have. Have you simply not been there for them when they needed you most? You see, we both do it. When we're in a conflict, we both hurt each other. Some of this may be very legitimate, but maybe they're struggling just as you are. Have you considered that? Maybe you and I both need more of God's grace in our lives and not our petty, self-exalting opinions of what we think our world needs to be. God's word will always encourage unity, but that unity has to be around the truth. It has to be. Maybe take some time to sit still before God. Take in his word. Take that step to reconnect with others. We have so much more to give when we ourselves come together in fellowship around the word. Let me tell you right now, church, I don't find it an accident that more of you are warm to one another since you've been more faithful in discipleship and reading the word of God and in prayer. I don't find it an accident. That's how God works. And if there's one thing that I want more than anything else is I don't want a pseudo-Christianity, I want the real thing. I don't want a fraudulent Christianity in here, I want the real thing. God wants the real thing. He wants our hearts. And you and I, if we're apart from this, we are not going to walk faithfully with him. Remember what Jesus actually says about his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We are so grateful 
for the testimony of the saints, and even the examples in Scripture that cause us to pause and step back. As many of us tend to find our needs to be more important than the needs of others. Lord, help us to be sacrificial. Help us to be loving to those around us, but to stand on truth. To not give up, to be bold, to raise our children for your kingdom. And Lord, I ask this morning that you would take this word this morning that we've heard and apply it to our lives. Give us boldness as a church. Help us to love our community the way we ought to and to be faithful to you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together and close with uh, Jesus paid it all. Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy strength in thine alone. Change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow 
He washed it white as snow Praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Father, I want to thank you for service today. I just pray that we'll be able to take the sermon and apply it. Please be with us this week as we go about our weeks, and uh, just bring us back uh, Friday night. We have a good Friday service. In your name, amen. You are? What was that? Also, good Friday service, 6 p.m. I've seen the service outline. It's going to be fantastic. Bring a friend. <laughs>